When I sat my first long retreat next door at the retreat center, we were asked to take notes, just brief notes on one sitting and one walking so that we could report on it very specifically in our interview. So because of this, I had a little notebook with me to take these notes. And I used it solely for that purpose, with one exception, which was, I remember in, I'm not sure if it was one talk or more than one talk, a couple of words that really stood out for me. And so I wrote these words, three words, one each across a whole page. And the three words that I wrote down for inspiration were confidence, patience, and courageous effort. They seem to be really important things to remember that I could do this practice, that I could keep going, and that I had the energy, or I could find the energy that it took to do that. So tonight I'd like to speak about these aspects of practice, specifically energy and patience, although confidence comes into play as well. At first, I think it can seem that energy and patience have very distinct and separate qualities, that one is more active and the other more passive. But actually, when we look at them, we can see that they're very interconnected and that they each encompass aspects of the other. They balance each other. And when they're in balance, they serve to sustain and support our practice. Sometimes we can find that as we begin to bring awareness to certain aspects or qualities of practice, that just bringing our attention to them helps to bring them into balance or to support them, to strengthen them. But keep in mind that sometimes it can happen as we look to our own experience for these qualities that we see their opposites. Please don't be disheartened if you find this. It's actually important to honestly see where we might be lacking in energy, where we might not be making a balanced effort, or where we're restless and impatient. If we don't see this, it's much harder to effect a change, to bring these qualities into balance. So the Pali word for energy is virya, which also means effort. And it's sometimes translated as ardor, 
which I like because it has an element of passion or fire in it. Virya is also described as virinam bhavo, which means the state of heroic ones. So we can also think of energy in terms of courageous effort. I remember looking at those words in my notebook and finding it helpful to just be reminded of that possibility for courageous effort, particularly when I was feeling overwhelmed or uh, not fully engaged. Sometimes courage is just what we need in practice. And it's good to look at your relationship to that word, to courage. Sometimes I think for some of us it can mean a kind of fighting or bullying our way into experience. But I like to remember that there's heartfulness in courage. So it's not about meeting my experience in any way forcefully, but with a fullness of heart, in a sense, leading with the heart. In a way, it's an aspect of commitment or willingness. Certainly the attitude that we bring to our practice affects our energy and our capacity to be present. This is something that I've noticed in my life a lot in terms of physical exertion of energy. I have a friend who once told me that she rides her bike only for the downhills. But generally, when there are downhills, there are uphills also. So if we practice with the attitude of being in it for the parts that we like, the pleasantness, the downhills, we're going to have a harder time. It's guaranteed. I remember a few years ago, I went on a long bike trip in Montana. And before I left for the trip, I was, I'd never done anything like that. And I was determined to do a little bit of training so I'd be prepared. And what I found was that as I would go out to ride, that I had a, new, a whole new relationship to hills. It didn't feel like I was really training unless I did some hills. So the interest and enthusiasm that I brought to those training rides, because I held it in that way, that it was training and I was strengthening, really shifted my relationship to them. I wasn't resisting. They were so much more doable, enjoyable even. I looked forward to them. While we might not look forward to the hills in our practice, the challenges, the more difficult 
aspects of practice, it can make a huge difference if we only accept them rather than resist them. We're that much better off, that much more able to meet them with some balance and actually learn something about our experience. This is training. We're all in training here. So when we practice in that way, where we're not avoiding our hills, it's an expression of courage and commitment. We're willing to go on almost with a kind of fearlessness. There's a sense of knowing that no matter what comes up, we can be with it just as best as we are able. It's very empowering to practice in this way. And it takes more than just energy to do it. It takes that willingness of heart, an acceptance. It takes patience. Patience or kanti, it's such a beautiful quality. It's so completely simple and yet so helpful. I think sometimes we just need to remember that we can bring that quality into our practice. It's said in the texts that no greater thing exists than patience. Occasionally, letters have come to IMS addressed to the Instant Meditation Society, which is so fitting for our culture. We wish it was instant. In a way, it works. It's appropriate because it means, you know, we're showing up in just this instant and then the next and then the next. It's about cultivating the ability to do that. It takes energy and it takes patience. And they're really not separate. One way of understanding or thinking about energy is in terms of its characteristic its function, and its manifestation. The characteristic of energy or effort is said to be forbearance, which is an enduring patience in the face of difficulty. Again from the texts, no higher rule, the Buddhas say, than patience, and no Nibbana higher than forbearance. So what exactly is forbearance? Tolerance and restraint in face, in the face of challenges. It's the bearing of the hills, the bearing of what's difficult, without adding the pain of resistance or avoidance. 
or denial. So can we be with pain in our bodies in a skillful way? Looking deeply enough to see the difference between our reactions or our resistance to it, the stories about it, and the actual experience, the sensations of it, how it's known in any moment. As we tune into it on that direct experiential level of sensations, we see into its changing nature, its insubstantiality, its emptiness of self. Wisdom deepens. So when courageous effort is present, we're more able to explore what's difficult or trying. Maybe it's physical discomfort, maybe it's emotional pain, Maybe we're struggling with one of the hindrances, wanting something other than what we're experiencing, resisting what is. Maybe self-judgment is arising, or the comparing mind, or judgments about others. It can be quite a challenge to be with these states of mind, and it requires energy to really hang in there, to use them as training, training in being present and seeing clearly. So the very essence of energy, its character, is forbearance, that patient enduring, which doesn't mean that we're passively putting up with things or waiting for something better to come along. It's actually an active engagement with what is. It takes energy to not act in habitual ways. It's all too easy to respond in habitual patterns, perhaps less than skillfully, to situations that we find trying or painful or annoying. So without patience, there's no equanimity or balance of mind. We lose it. We create quite a tangle of aversion and resistance. It's painful. And noticing the pain when that happens is useful. Rather than judging it, just using it as a reminder, a kind of wake-up call to tune in, to see what's happening, to look more closely at how and why we might be suffering. Mindfulness practice teaches us to recognize the suffering inherent in our unskillful actions to recognize the suffering we might cause others, to recognize our own suffering. And it's our commitment to finding the end of that suffering that we cultivate forbearance. It's not out of a sense of being good or right or holy. It's about learning to let go of what causes suffering. 
So practicing with forbearance means opening to the difficulties, opening to our responses. And in so doing, learning about the nature of aversion or craving, rather than being ruled by our reactions. And this doesn't mean that we never take action. We do. But rather than being motivated by the unwholesome roots of greed, hatred, or delusion, our actions might instead be rooted in generosity, love, wisdom. Sharon Salzberg, in her book, Heart as Wide as the World, said, true patience is constancy, the consistent willingness to use this moment of reality as a vehicle for wisdom and compassion. This is a tremendous support in our practice, in life in general. And that is what the function of energy is. It's supporting. Energy supports the mind when it withers in the face of pain or difficulty. An example given is of an old broken down house at the point of collapse. The slightest wind could blow and it would come falling down. But if we prop the house up, with some new strong beams, it can withstand even the strong winds, the storms. So energy is like those strong beams, those new beams. It supports the mind as we practice, even through the storms. Energy and patience also support each other, help to bring each other into balance. As we make an effort in practice, bringing the attention back over and over, connecting with the present moment, what happens is that we settle. We find some calmness, some stability within the range of our experience, not outside of it. This is stability, not being rocked or swayed by all of the changing mental and physical phenomena that arise and pass. And this is said to be an aspect of patience, this kind of stability. Again, from the texts, from patience arises even-mindedness. The third aspect of energy, the way it manifests, is as a bold, brave, courageous mind. So when it's developed, we can meet whatever's arising. We don't shrink back or shy away from the truth of our experience, whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. The Buddha described energy as a kind of heat or an increased vibration, which in the mind manifests as agility, 
So the mind is able to move from one object to another, meeting it all with mindfulness. When energy is low, when mindfulness is more sporadic, it's easier for unwholesome states to take hold when they arise. Fully developed energy persists and increases. Sloth and torpor can't arise. We're able to keep the precepts. The mind is bright and clear. Something that I've noticed in my life and in practice is that sometimes using more energy helps create energy, helps bring the energy up. So sometimes in practice, you might notice that if you actually give the mind more to do when the energy is a bit low, it will help the energy come up, help sustain the energy. And of course, it's always important to find the right effort in, in practice, a balanced energy. And it's a skill that we learn as we go. And we learn it, I think we forget this sometimes, we learn it by getting out of balance and noticing what's happened. Perhaps at time getting too tight in practice. We learn to relax, settle back, open more to a receptive, a receptivity. And we notice at times that we become spaced out, disconnected from what's happening, too relaxed, and that we need to refocus and connect again with what's happening with more precision. Patience comes into play through this process as we do this. You know, we, we would like to be able to just get it right and then stay there. But having a patient approach, being willing to see where we might be out of balance throughout the whole of the day is really the approach that we need to take. And at times, in practice, we drop into a kind of effortless effort where the practice is doing itself. There's a kind of momentum that takes over where we let go of hope for results and we're just being attentive, being with what is. I found this passage, it's by a world-class rower. He wrote a book called Mind Over Water. And in it, he says, rowers have a word for this frictionless state, swing. Recall the pure joy of riding on a backyard swing, an easy cycle of motion the momentum coming from the swing itself. 
The swing carries us. We don't force it. We pump our legs to drive our arc higher, but gravity does most of the work. We're not so much swinging as being swung. The boat swings you. The shell wants to move fast. Speed sings in its lines and nature. Our job is simply to work with the shell, to stop holding it back with our thrashing struggles to go faster. Trying too hard sabotages boat speed. Trying becomes striving, and striving undoes itself. Swing is a state of arrival. As I looked back at my own relationship to effort over the years of practice, it seems um, to be a kind of spiral. It's not really a circle because that implies some kind of conclusion. (laughs) But when I first started meditating at all, it was at the end of a yoga class that I took in high school. And the instructor just said, sit, you know, at the end of the yoga class, watch your mind. That was it for instruction. And I remember that in a way it was really easy. You know, I think it's beginner's mind when we don't know enough about practice to judge ourselves. And maybe it was also because I'd just done something that was both uh, energizing and relaxing. And maybe it was because it was only about 10 minutes. (laughs) But it seemed pretty easy to just be present, to just be aware of my body and the breath, and then what was going on in the mind. So that's what I did for a long time. Yoga was my primary practice, and I would sit a little at the end. And then I was introduced to Vipassana on a weekend retreat. And over the next years, I did a couple more weekends, and then did 10-day retreats and longer retreats. And I noticed that my relationship to effort changed. There became, at a certain point in practice, much more... Um, striving and efforting until at some point I'd realized that I'd really gotten very tight and I'd lost that simplicity of just being present that I'd had initially. So over time, I softened my effort, shifted to a much more receptive state. And then, within that receptive state, looked again at working with balancing the energy in practice. So this example is sort of a macro view, but it's true in the micro view as well. 
even within one sitting period or one period of walking, there can be a wide range of adjustment of energy or effort. It becomes more of a natural fine-tuning. Sometimes I think it feels like walking on a balance beam or what I imagine walking on a tightrope would be like. That we learn to walk the beam by leaning too, too far to one side and then adjusting and then leaning too far to the other side and adjusting. It's a dynamic process, not a fixed thing that we achieve. On a very basic level, right effort is the willingness to keep coming back to the present moment, no matter what it holds. I've heard it said that there are really only two instructions necessary for practice. Begin and go on. And energy or effort is essential in both. And so is patience. Patience provides the softness, the spaciousness. And also, at least in my understanding, the kindness. Think of how we are when we're being patient with a young child. The heart is open, we're accepting, we're there, we're attentive. Sometimes you might notice that being patient implies a sense of waiting. This is useful to pay attention to, to see if you have a sense that you're waiting in your practice. What are we waiting for? It isn't really very helpful. Again, this is from Sharon's book. She quotes her teacher, Manindra, who said, in meditation practice, time is not a factor. It's not something that's relevant in this process. Practice is timeless. This can be a really helpful perspective. What if we practice, practiced outside of time? outside of the framework of a future in which things could be better, outside of the framework of a past by which we might measure our current experience. When we're set on becoming something or someone other than who we are, it's easy to get impatient. It's easy to feel restless in desire or expectation. So notice those times when expectations are arising in practice, when you want it to be a certain way. Notice if there's a tendency to measure progress in practice or lack of it by 
against what we would like to be experiencing. It's impossible to settle into what's happening really fully, to see it really clearly, to learn from it, if we're looking for something else. As we learn to let go of expectations, so much more is actually available because we're there for it. We're not distracted, looking ahead to some imaginary thing in the future. Looking outside of what is, what is actually true for us in any given moment, is suffering. We're refusing to accept what is. We're anticipating what we might prefer or how we think things should be going. I'd like to share this little story. It's from a meditation teacher that I think embodies really beautifully a patient but diligent approach to practice. It's a story from Jack Kornfield's book, but it's not Jack's story. It's an anonymous meditation teacher's story. Here I am, a teacher for hundreds and hundreds of students, some who have, had ex- who have experienced powerful meditative openings. But that has not been my way. For a long time, this was the hardest thing for me to accept, that nothing happened. I'm not a person with big, dramatic experiences. For 30 years now, it's simply been a process of practicing without being caught by my own ideas of discouragement or success. I would go for months of intensive training and no spectacular experience would happen. This was especially hard for the first 10 years. (laughs) But at least I never got trapped into believing I was a special spiritual person. Yet, somehow, something did change. What most transformed me were the endless hours of mindfulness, giving a careful attention to what I was doing. I learned that the inner dropping of burdens was not going to happen for me all in one piece, but over and over again. I simply dropped the burden of my judgments, of my fear, of distrust of myself, of tightness of body and mind. At some point, I discovered how automatically tightness and grasping would come. And with that realization, I started letting go, opening to an appreciation of life, finding an ease. The traditional teachings slowly dawned on me that in reality there is neither coming nor going, that from the ground of being nothing ever really happens or will ever happen. Seeing this was like a confirmation of what I already knew. I became less serious, less concerned about myself. My kindness started to deepen. Oddly enough, some of my friends tell me, I've become more and more like myself. 
They say there's been a very big change in me, but it wasn't produced by any special event. I guess it's just the fruit of being present over and over. It's that simple. There's a lot of energy and a tremendous patience in that story. Those years of just showing up and letting go. I'd like to just touch on, to remind us of what the Buddha called the four great efforts. The first is to enhance and encourage wholesome and skillful states that are already present in our experience, already arisen. So to support those moments of mindfulness, of clear seeing, of acceptance, of interest. The second is to not get entangled in unwholesome or unskillful states that have already arisen. And we're doing this whenever we bring a mindful awareness to any of the hindrances or difficult emotional states that arise in practice. Get interested in them rather than being lost in them. The third is to encourage skillful or beautiful states that have not yet arisen. And that's what we're doing as we practice. We're planting seeds. We're purifying our intention. We're training. This is encouraging beautiful states, wholesome states to arise. And the fourth is to avoid unskillful states that have not yet arisen. So as we learn to apply ourselves diligently, patiently, courageously, concentration grows, steadiness of mind grows, stability And we find that we're protected from unskillful states not yet arisen. Or perhaps they arise less frequently. So we're making these four great efforts in any moment that we're willing to be present, that we show up in that dedicated courageous way and we see clearly when we're honestly engaged with the truth of our experience with what is actually happening not what we might wish it takes 
a balanced effort to do this, and an infinite patience to continue to do it. As Upandita Sayadaw said, the road to liberation is paved with patience. Let's sit quietly for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.